Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. We have really a groundbreaking case to discuss today. And um, by way of backdrop, how many times have you been told by a family law client that they have been either physically, verbally, or emotionally abused by a client, and they ask you, what are my remedies? Well, it's something that comes up countless times. And, you know, as we all know, abuse isn't just, you know, the physical violence. There's emotional, financial uh, you know, it comes down to the pattern of coercion and control. And so it's something that is definitely very common, uh, unfortunately, in a, in a lot of relationships and clients I have. So for our viewers, the case of Aluwalia versus Aluwalia um, was released just last week. And it was a judge's decision, a judge by the name of Manhani from Brampton. Um, and for those that don't know, Brampton has a fairly large um, portion of people that have immigrated from Canada from places such as India and Pakistan. And the Aluwalia case dealt with an Indian family. And um, the matter came before the judge for an 11 day trial. The husband was represented by himself. The wife was represented by a lawyer. And the Actually, it was case... the other way around. The wife was self-represented. Oh, the, the wife was self-represented. Yeah, which is really interesting. And so after this 11-day trial, the judge reserved and ultimately made rulings with respect to all of the typical issues, parenting, child support, spouse support, property division. But the part of this case that is the most remarkable is the judge awarded the woman $150,000 in damages for the uh, coercive control, the abuse, the assaults, the denigration, uh, really what this woman had been through, she, uh, uh, the judge took it very seriously and did something that very few judges do. And she granted this woman damages to compensate her for these, for these injuries, both emotionally, verbally, and physically. So that's our topic for today. And I'm very eager to hear your views on this case, which by the way, I want to say to you, Leanne, thank you for bringing this case to my attention. I actually heard about it, but I didn't read it. And then you brought it to my attention, which caused me to then read it. So thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a really interesting case. And I mean, I personally think it's a great case because, you know, domestic uh, abuse and family violence is unfortunately such a problem. Um, and often, um, you know, victims of abuse, they really, they don't, they go through this court process and they don't really get compensated for it in any way. And they often come out, you know, destitute, battered down and feel like, you know, the system has almost re-abused them in some cases. And so I think this is like a fantastic um, precedent and, um, you know, essentially creating the tort of family violence and setting out the criteria for, for what, you know, what one has to prove in order to establish that tort and to seek damages for it. Um, and 
I think what's, you know, really great about it is, you know, we've spoken about this on our um, lives before, Steve, how, you know, last year in 2021, there were amendments to the Divorce Act um, to give greater recognition to family violence and the definition of family violence and how cases involving family violence should be treated and what, you know, that it should be taken into account in determining best interests of children and things like that. So this case is actually really taking recognition of the fact that family violence is an important enough issue that our government decided to make changes to the Divorce Act and family law legislation and, you know, put a definition of it in there and, and provide that it needs to be considered in cases. And so this case does just that. It's, it's considering the impact of family violence and it's compensating the wife here for the years of abuse that she endured. And so for the benefit of our viewers, the amendments to the Divorce Act from last year did not deal with the right of a victim to collect damages for personal injuries suffered from domestic violence. The amendments to the Divorce Act strictly dealt with parenting rights. And it dealt with things such as parenting time, parental decision-making. And in the context of the subject of parenting, the Divorce Act amendments specifically provided that family violence, and it was given quite an expansive definition. It's not just limited to physical assaults. It includes all forms of violence, including harassment. It could be online harassment. It could be verbal. It could be emotional. It could be financial abuse. In any event, all of that form of financial violence was provided within the amendments of the Divorce Act dealing with the subject matter of parenting. Because historically, the legislation provided that behavior that is not directly related to parenting is not relevant. And so historically, where people would try to introduce into evidence, evidence of bad behavior, historically under the legislation, that evidence of bad behavior was not admissible because it wasn't relevant to determine parenting. Well, over time, the language of the legislation recognized that, well, there is a type of behavior that does impact parenting, and that is family violence. And so where the behavior directly impinges on parenting, it became relevant. That was under the provincial legislation. So then last March, March 2020, excuse me, March 2021, the federal government amended the Divorce Act to include a, an expansive definition of family violence and required judges and mediators and lawyers to consider family violence in context of parenting. So along comes the Aluwalia case, which really didn't deal with parenting, but it mainly dealt with the legislation dealing with family violence as a, as a sort of preliminary step to recognize how the federal government now does appreciate the severity of family violence. And then the judge used that in order to launch into an analysis of what this woman went through and then granting her damages for compensation for, compensation for the damages that she suffered. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. And in order to, you know, just for listeners to have an understanding, what, what the court essentially said for this, uh, creating this tort of family violence, um, 
somebody who wants to make that claim is going to have to essentially prove three things. So one, they're going to have to show that the, the other party um, was violent or threatening towards them. Number two, they're going to have to show that it constitutes a pattern of coercive and controlling behavior. And number three, they have to show that it causes the person to fear for their own safety or that of another person, like a child or, um, you know, a family member. So those are three of the, the three elements of the tort of family violence. And, um, you know, this is, as I say, this is a precedent setting case. So, um, you know, I think this is really helpful for, for victims of domestic violence moving forward. Um, you know, and what's also interesting in this case is that the wife um, was asking for $100,000 in damages and she was awarded 150. So not only did the judge recognize this tort of family violence and give her award her damages for it, he awarded her even more than she was asking. So he was definitely, I, I don't know if the judge is a male or a female, but- a female. Female, female. So she was definitely, you know, on the wife's side, certainly with respect to this issue. And I guess, you know, one of the other things we should probably highlight about the cases, um, you know, it was it, would you say, Steve, you know, if someone's, um, you know, kind of had an isolated situation of um, domestic violence, would, would that be sufficient, do you think, for to establish this uh, tort of family violence? Or does it need to be something more? I think this, as much as this is groundbreaking case law, uh, I want to be very clear with our viewers that a, type, a case like this would require significant evidence to be led that would cause a judge to provide a similar judgment. I find it so startling that this woman went through the entire process self-represented and alone and was still able to receive the... Um, the justice, the respect, and ultimately the compensation that she did get. But back to your question, Leanne, this is not a situation where one isolated assault would result in such a damage award. This is a case where this woman, by the way, by the time the judgment was released, she was 53. When they split up, she was only four, she was 47. Um, and so it was, it was historical abuse that was shared with the judge during the trial that resulted in the damage award. And it was abuse that went on in many locations. This is a family that moved from, from India to Brampton to Edmonton, back to Brampton. And throughout all of these um, journeys as a family unit, um, she was constantly um, berated, um, denigrated, assaulted uh, physically, uh, but most importantly, she was very badly mentally scarred. Um, and so we don't want that for anybody. And quite frankly, I would rather know that I never got a case like this because it doesn't exist than for me to have many of these types of cases because they're so sad. Um, and what I'd like to do I actually wrote down one of the quotations um, that I wanted to share. And it was in paragraph um, 113. And again, for those of you that want to look it up, it's found on canly.org, C-A-N-L-I-I.org. Uh, you click Ontario, and then you can keyword search the name of the case. It's Aluwalia, spelled A-H-L-U-W-A. 
L-I-A. The name of the judge was Mandani, spelled M-A-N-D-H-A-N-E. If you were to keyword search either of those, you'll find the 2022 case. Paragraph 113, quote, while this damage award is high when compared to other cases, including spousal support, it reflects the overall pattern of coercion and control at play in family violence matters. And then later in the judgment, the judge awarded the 150 made up of three different components. $50,000 compensation for mental health, mental health disabilities and lost earning potential. $50,000 aggravated damages because the father preyed upon the mother's vulnerability as a racialized newcomer with cruel and demeaning behavior. And then another $50,000 in punitive damages to reflect the court's strong condemnation of the husband's behavior. This is extraordinary, um, but I, I, I hesitate to say this, um, even though we know there are many such cases it takes a significant amount of courage for someone to come to court and give the testimony that re would result in this outcome. And um, I, I just really, I grant it to Ms. Aluwalia for being a woman that despite being beaten down as badly as she was, she was able to come to court and to stand up and give evidence in support of herself and by doing so, she didn't only just seek catharsis for herself and, of course, compensation. She really serves as a beacon of light to so many people that are victims of violence, men included, people that are victims of violence who otherwise hide under the covers and don't reveal what they've gone through, uh, unlike Ms. Aluwalia, who did. And I, I say kudos to her for having that strength to do so. No, I totally agree. Um, you know, the courage she showed in, you know, coming forward with it, but then, and also representing herself against her abuser. Um, you know, I can't even imagine the courage that that would take to have to be in court, um, possibly cross-examining the very person who, you know, it was abusive towards you. Um, it's, you know, it's phenomenal, a phenomenal amount of courage. And, you know, I think, you know, now she's accomplished. She's, she, I mean, she's somebody who literally has had an impact on our society because she's helped to create a, a precedent setting case um, whereby other, you know, victims of horrific abuse, like what she endured, you know, now have a case they can point to and, and bring it forward, um, you know, to hopefully get compensated in some fashion themselves with, you know, damages for the abuse they've endured. And I think that it's important for listeners to understand, and, and you touched upon this uh, a bit already, Steve, is that, um, you know, I think for someone to be successful in this type of case, it, it, you know, they are going to have to provide some significant evidence of an ongoing pattern of, you know, coercive, you know, coercion and control, coercive controlling behavior, um, you know, it, whether it's financial, emotional, verbal, physical, I mean, in this case, there were, there were all of those elements. 
Um, I don't think that that's a necessary requirement that it be all of those elements, but it certainly, you know, will be in order to, to be awarded damages, you would have to establish that there's definitely a longer term pattern. And what's also interesting in this case is that um, there were, I think, three incidents that she had put in her pleadings where there, there had been, I think, an inc incidence of violence. But as the case went on, um, you know, it, it was really not so much just about those specific three incidents. It was about the overall pattern and countless incidents. And she had just cited three as examples. And that's something, again, as well for listeners to be aware of, is that if in this type of claim, you know, you are going to have to give specific um, examples. You're, it's not a situation where you can just say, well, he, you know, he or she abused me, they abused me mentally, physically. Um, you're going to have to cite specific examples where this happened and show the details of it. Right. Uh, this is clearly a case where I, I, I venture to guess that if she was represented by counsel, she may not have done as well. I think the judge <laughs> recognized her vulnerabilities in such a way that may not have necessarily come out if she had been cloaked in legal counsel. Um, the fact that the case itself demonstrated itself to be such a power imbalance, the husband with the money, with the lawyer, versus the woman with the abuse, self-represented, I, I really think this was real a real David and Goliath presentation before the judge and this judge was not going to simply look the other way. And she took it on and she wrote a very lengthy decision, which I commend those who are watching to read. Definitely. So now the next question, do you think it'll be appealed? Yes. <laughs> I do too. And this may very well be one of those cases that eventually makes its way all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, you know, it, it would make some interesting law and it would be great to uh, get some direction at, at that level. But even the Ontario Court of Appeal um, would be interesting. So uh, for our listeners, stay tuned. I mean, appeals take quite a while to work their way through the system, but this may very well not be the last time we've, we've heard of this case. Correct. Nice <laughs> talking to you, Leanne. Good Great talking case. to you. We'll see everybody next week. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.